Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Last week I started a two-part series on blessing, and, and this morning I want us to look at a very specific and special blessing that we find in the Word of God. And before we leave today, before we go, I I just want to declare a blessing over you and your house and your life. I believe that God wants to do something in His people and through His church and in our midst, the likes of which we have only dreamt about, the likes of which we have only talked about, the likes of which we have marveled to see, we have longed and waited to see, and I believe that God wants to show up on your behalf. Can anybody say amen? Amen. I want to share with you today the oldest recorded uh, blessing, and it really it's the oldest citation, written citation of Scripture that we have ever found. In a cave just outside of Jerusalem in the year of 1979, they unearthed these two small little silver scrolls, and inscribed on these scrolls was the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron, which was originally the blessing that Moses said, this is the, what the Lord told me to tell you, Aaron, and your sons, when you bless the people. And so this was an extended blessing going from God through Moses to the high priest Aaron, to Aaron's sons who would serve in the temple to be a blessing in the house of the people of Israel. And by extension, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, who has been grafted into that spiritual vine, who has been given the rights of children of God by the extension of the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we now have the ability to lay claim upon and to declare over our lives this same, very same blessing. One of the oldest blessings, the oldest citation that we have is written to us from Numbers chapter 6. I want to read this blessing, and then I want to share some of the key components of this blessing in our message today. Here is the the blessing in the New King James. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless. I like that right there. This is the way that you shall bless. There is a way to bless. Now, the world is very well versed at the way of cursing. In fact, they can curse so good, you are amazed sometimes how they can string together some curses, right? I mean, like, wow, how did they get that many cuss words in one sentence? I'm really impressed. No, not really. So we, we, by default, we know how to curse. It is, it is easy for us to cast off or to cast down or to speak in a foul or a vile way. Cursing is really uh, what we would call human nature, but blessing is divine nature. And here's what God says, this is the way that you shall bless, who? The children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is a masterfully written prayer. In fact, it has been the study of scholars for many ages in the way that it is constructed in the original Hebrew writing. When I began reading about this blessing and, and looking and, and dissecting this prayer, it's really a prayer blessing. When I started to, to look at this and to understand and study the background of it, 
then there is something that becomes very evident in the original writing, and that is that it is three phrases, each containing two blessings, but with every line, it intensifies. It gets stronger. You ever, you ever uh, experienced a kind of a wave of God's presence where it's drawing you in with the first wave, the second wave is more intense, but that next wave, it just keeps intensifying. It gets stronger and stronger. It's kind of like today when we, we had the, the first uh, impromptu call to the altar. People just started coming up. And then we had uh, a prayer time and people came up. And then the next song and people came up. Did you notice that there were just waves of intensification as God was drawing his people to worship? The Spirit of God draws us to worship. And so in every line, we see that there is an intensification. In the first line, there are only three words in the first line in Hebrew. In the next line, there are five words in Hebrew, but in the, the last line, in the, in the third line, there are seven words in Hebrew. Now, you have to understand that in Hebrew writing, there was really, there were no vowels. There were all consonants. And so all of the vowels were left out. In the name of the Lord, the name of God to the Hebrews, for the ancient Israelites, was so holy it was considered to be so sacred and so holy that they could never say the name of God the way that it was spelled. They would just spell it Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Yad-Veh-Hayeh. It was, it was the, the way that they would say the name of God. And so this intensification is a blessing from God on his people, upon the home, upon our lives. There is this blessing of God that is being conveyed here. Now, now here's what I did when I, I wrote down this, this prayer. I don't know if you can see this. I don't know if they, they had this on there, but uh, this is how I wrote down the, 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 the words of this. I was in my study and I wrote this down. And in the first day, I just wrote it down. And then I posted it up there in the place where I study. And then the next day, I took it off. And I, and I highlighted something that stood out to me. Oh, I said, the Lord is in there five different times. And I took an orange highlighter and I just highlighted every time that the Lord is referenced by the Lord or his. So it's referencing the Lord. And then the next day I sat down and I, I saw something else. Oh, there are six action words. There are verbs here that declare what God is doing for us in and through this prayer. And then I looked, I said, wait a minute, there's something else about this. And it's just a short little prayer. But I took a blue marker and I marked over every time that the blessing pertains, and I made it personal to me because it says you, right? So, so you is me or me is, is you. I don't know how it works, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. I marked it, I marked it. And I said, one, two, three, four, five, six. Wait a minute. The Lord is mentioned five times. I am mentioned six times. His bountiful love over top of me is that he wants, it's almost as like the Lord is saying, no, you go last. No, no, you go last. No, no, you go last. You go most. Like the Lord is deferring to us. It is the Lord's blessing, but it is upon me. It is upon you. You, it, this is happening in our lives. The message translation says, God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look full in the face and make you prosper. I encourage you to, to read this, this blessing in a couple different translations and just let the words reverberate over you. Just let them sink in. Read it again and again. I've been reading this, this prayer specifically in my place where I study since December. I've been reading this and I've been incorporating it into my routine of, 
blessing and my routine of prayers. There's several prayers that I pray uh, on a regular basis. One of them is the Jesus prayer. This goes back for centuries. The Jesus prayer is simply this. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the Jesus prayer. Or the prayer of Jabez. Oh, Lord God of Israel, I call unto you this day. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory. May your hand be with me and keep me from evil. May I not cause pain. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord smile upon you and gift you. The Lord lift up his face, his countenance upon you and give you peace. These kinds of prayers incorporated into our lives and into our routine just put us in a place of centering. You know, in a road uh, on each side, there's a ditch. But if you will center your automobile in your lane, then you will stay safe and you will get to your desired destination. But if you get off to the right too much, or you get off to the left too much, you're going to end up in a ditch. And so I think what happens is if we get some things in our lives, in our spiritual lives, if we can build in and bake into the recipe of our lives some things that center us, then it keeps us in the place in our lane where we get to our desired destination. But what happens is we start daydreaming, don't we? We start looking around at all the scenery. We start wondering what it's like over here in that land and over there in that quarter and what what they're doing over there in that place. And it's so easy to lose track. Before long, we have driven down a road so far that we no longer even know where we are. We're not even headed towards our destination. And I think this is the kind of prayer that just centers us and gets us to the place of blessing. Let's speak about blessing. The word bless, this is the first action word in this prayer. The word bless means, according to Dallas Willard, and I'm going to quote Dallas a couple of times here in this text because he did a great teaching on this prayer. But the word bless is God continually bringing good into your life. God bringing good continually into your life. This is blessing. Notice who the, the source of the good is. It is God. God is the source of good. Dallas says, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. If you're going to bless somebody, you're going to project good into their lives. And it always includes God, he says. It is impossible, I like this, it is impossible to bless someone and harm them at the same time. Notice what he's saying here. This is all drawn from scripture. What does Jesus tell us that we are to do when someone persecutes us, when they revile us, when they would stand as opposition of enemies of us, what are we supposed to do? We are to revile them back and curse at them, right? Is that what we do? No, we are to pray for them. I have experienced something really interesting in prayer, and that is that you cannot be actively praying for someone for their good and also wishing for their harm at the same time. And so, The blessing piece of this is that we are projecting good continually into someone's life. And so when Aaron is taking Moses' words to bless the children of Israel, what he's saying is, I am going to always be projecting the good into their lives. It's like Leslie said a minute ago in her song, is that we are going to declare over our lives, not what the doctors have said, because we know they are still just practicing medicine. Thank God for doctors. I'm not against them, but they're still practicing. But the great physician has perfected the healing of our bodies. And so I am going to declare what thus saith the word of God. I'm not going to deny the facts of what the doctor's results say. Those are are facts. 
But the truth is that we stand and declare the word of God over our lives. That is the truth. And that is the blessing. And so it is projecting good continually over our lives. This is the very basis of the Beatitudes, where Jesus gets into this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, blessed are. We, we did a whole series on that last year. Blessed are. And then he goes into talking about all of the conditions of a person's life, the soil of their heart that will prompt blessing, the projection of good in someone else. Now, I was kind of searching for um, a, a, an example that I could, could really relay this. And, and here's what just stuck with me. I was, I was uh, in a restaurant and I was eating, and I don't know about you, you guys, some of you, when you have to sneeze, you hold it in. I've got a friend that he holds in his sneeze, and I said, don't do that, you're going to blow your eardrums out. So I am a loud sneezer. Like, if I sneeze and you're in the booth behind me, you're probably coming up off that chair, because I just let it out. And I let out my sneeze, and behind the booth, someone says, bless you. Or I even like it better when they say, God bless you, yeah. Right? And this is, this is common in our culture. Even the most uh, hardened sinner will, will say, likely, even in the grocery store or in passing, they don't have to know you, you sneeze out in public. And what does someone say? Bless you. They say, bless you. This, this happens all of the time. And whenever someone says, bless you, I always say, thank you. Like, I never let that just go. There is something powerful about that. I never just let that go. Now, I'm told, and it's an ancient superstition that... Uh, they believed in the ancients that you were no closer to death in this life than at the time that you sneezed. And that if you were not careful when you sneeze, you could expel your soul. Now that's superstition, of course. But there are some other superstitions around sneezing. The Japanese say that if it's one sneeze, then that means there's some good gossip that is being talked about regarding you. If it's two sneezes, then the gossip is less good. And if you sneeze three times in a row, then it's not nice gossip at all. Now, when I was growing up, what we were told was that as children, for every time that you sneeze in a row, that's how many children you're going to have when you grow up. And so when I would sneeze five times, I was really, really worried. I don't know if I want to have that many kids, Lord. Of course, these are, these are superstitions. These are not true. It's also a myth that your heart skips a beat when you sneeze. That's not true. Medical, hey, Google says it's not true, so you know it's not true. But when someone says, bless you from a sneeze, there is a powerful activity that is happening here. What they are doing is whether they realize it or not, they're projecting good into your life. So what should your response be? Thank you. Yes, I receive that. By saying thank you, you're saying, I receive that. Whether or not they say, God bless you, it doesn't really matter. Why? Because we know that all blessing is a projection of good, projecting good into someone's life, of which God is the only one that is good. God is the creator. He is the maker. And everything good flows from him. There is nothing flows from God that is bad. And so when someone says, bless you, whether they say God on, at the front of it or not, what they are saying in essence is the person and the source of blessing is only and ever can be God. Therefore, I say, thank you. And we should never miss an opportunity, even in culture that seems so far from God, to say bless you to somebody else. It's usually pretty generally accepted, isn't it? Just about anywhere you go, someone sneezes and you can respond, bless you. It's pretty well accepted. 
But you could even add something else. The Lord bless you or God bless you. Now, if you say the Lord bless you, what you're actually doing in your mind, you can actually go back and rehearse this, this verse in number six. You can actually say the Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. You, know, you can actually do that. That's okay. You can do it under your breath, like a, like a breath prayer. And so the next phrase of this, the next action word from the blessing is keep, to keep. And the word to keep is shemar in Hebrew, which is a sense of guarding something or keeping it safe, to keep something safe. And so Aaron is instructed to bless the children of Israel through his sons. See, see how the blessing is cyclical? It, 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 it kind of descends down. It's like oil that runs down. And so it goes from God to Moses to Aaron, to Aaron's sons, to the children of Israel. And it, this, this word to keep is like guarding something. It brings back to my mind the, the guarding and the keeping power of the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, that sanctifies us, that covers us, that protects us. It is the blood of Jesus that keeps us, that heals us, that delivers us. And so when we say, the Lord bless you and keep you. This is the guarding, the safekeeping of something that's very important. When we, uh, oftentimes we'll, we'll leave an environment, maybe we're, we're going home from a, a service or a friend's house or, or we're leaving somewhere, especially at nighttime, what is it that we usually will tell someone before they go out the door or on their way out the door, it's a kind gesture to say, be safe. Like it's a keeping kind of a thing. Now, if you live in Ohio, it's usually be safe and watch for deer. Like, like when I was growing up, it was always and watch for deer. And I remember uh, just, just a couple months after getting my driver's license when I was 16, my nephew was about three years old and I was leaving their apartment one day and on the way out, everyone's saying, okay, bye-bye. And my little nephew, three-year-old, he runs up and he says, watch for deer. Because he'd always heard us do that. But it was his way of saying, keep guard out, keep, keep safe. I, I wanna ensure that there is a safety that happens in your life. Whatever the, the cultural word or phrase or the family kind of uh, norm that you do, there is something on the inside of us that we want to tell people to be safe. As if it's always in their keeping, it's not. It's not always within their ability to be safe. But this keeping power of God is in this prayer. And this is part of what it means to be covered and kept and guarded by God, to surrender our lives to his safe keeping. The next one is make your face shine or to make shine. And this one is a little harder to, to really uh, uh, maybe see on the surface, but the word face is penem in, in Hebrew. And the word face means presence. The face of God is the presence of God or the face of someone in, in ancient times. Now this is before Zoom calls or, or uh, FaceTime. You, you would have to be close to somebody even in their very presence to see their face. And so the word for face translates into presence because it means that we are seeing one another. And you and I know that artificially when we're on our phone, we're really not in that person's presence. They might be able to see the little caption shot or what we want them to see or the, the head and shoulders. You know, we might have a suit and tie on from this high up, but below it might be shorts and flip-flops, like, right? 
We're not really in their presence. We act different on FaceTime or on a screen than we would in their presence. And the word face here is presence. So here's what the blessing is. Is the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine or his presence to be with you. The best way to understand this is when it talks about your face shining upon someone. There's two times that we see in this prayer where the countenance or the face is referenced. And this first time, it says, let your face shine upon someone. I cannot illustrate this any better than the glance that a grandparent gives their grandchild. There is something different about the way that a grandparent looks upon a grandchild than a parent looks on a child, right? It's like one preacher said, if I knew grandchildren would be this good, I would have had them first. And some of you grandparents say, amen. <laughs> But there is something about the glimmer in the eye of a grandparent when they look upon that grandchild, when they give them their full unabated attention. A grandparent has a way of calming and giving attention to a child that even a parent doesn't. I don't know if it's because they're more mature, because they, they kind of have, have settled some of the other things in their life and the parents are still like striving to get, get to where they want to be in life and they're so busy and, and they're with the child all the time, so the hustle and bustle. But here is the whole concept of make your face shine upon me. God, make your face shine upon me. God, God looks at you the same way that a grandparent looks at a grandchild. Their face glimmers, they shine. They give you the full unabated attention. And that's what God does. And here is part of the blessing is that God, regardless of all of the things happening in the universe, all of the busy things that would clamor for God's time is never too busy to look at you as though you're the only one in the room. And he makes his face to shine upon you. This is the presence of God. Now, God, obviously, one of the attributes of God is that he is omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere at all times. One misnomer about hell is that people say that it is a place that lacks the presence of God. No, actually, the presence of God is in hell also. Even the psalmist David said, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. So God never departs from any place. There is no space, there is no time, there is no zone where God is barred from, his presence is there. But the inhabitant of hell does not get to enjoy what the full fulfillment and, and enjoyment of the presence of God in his face shining actually feels like. For the inhabitant of hell, they will be void of the understanding and knowledge that God is there. Even though his presence is there, they will be devoid of knowing that he's there. They will not in, in, in encounter that enraptures love and joy of recognizing that they have the full bestowing attention of God. So God is omnipresent. But let's take it down to the blessing part. Not only is he present everywhere at all times, he is right here with you right now. God knows what you need in this very moment. And all he tells us in his word is that we seek and we'll find. We knock and the door will be open. If we ask, then we shall receive. And I think that's why it's so vitally important that especially these, these one or two times a week where we come together for corporate worship, that we make our requests known. We make our prayers and petitions to God. We maybe get a prayer partner or someone and say, hey, will you pray with me? Will you help me? I want to talk to God. I want to come down to an altar. I want to kneel. I want to sit. I want to stand. I want to pray. I want to cry. I want to lift my hands. I want to tap my feet. I want to run the aisle. I want to do something that expresses that God, I recognize you're here. I recognize you listen, that you hear me, that you know my heart and you know what is going on. 
The next, the next phrase of this flows right in from make your face shine, and it says, be gracious unto me. Willard says that grace is defined as the flow of love and activity of what is good. Grace is the flow of love and the activity of what is good. Grace is so misunderstood in our culture. And I think primarily the reason that grace is misunderstood is that we live in such a transactional culture. We are so defined by the hours that we work for the payment that we receive, by the exchange of services and goods and the flow of commerce. Think about what we call money. We call money currency. What we call a river that's flowing down down the stream in the banks, we call it a current. And so we, we have this continual flow. It never stops currency. It's always happening. And we live in an exchange kind of a culture. And it's, it's, it's really easy in that kind of a culture to misunderstand what grace is because we think in terms of, I work 40 hours, therefore I get paid. And that's why as Americans, especially middle class and upper middle class and, and the elite and the wealthy, it's really hard the more you have to be a good receiver. Now, you can be a good giver, but you may not be a good receiver because that means that there is grace. And so what happens is in our transactional culture, we, we get a gift or we get blessed and therefore we want to give back to that person because we don't ever want that tie of debt, do we? We don't ever want someone to one-up one on us. We don't ever want to be in a condition or a place of owing somebody. And, and the scripture tells us, owe no man except for love. But when it comes to grace... When it's talking about the the blessing of God and the grace of God on our lives, what we have to understand is that we are saved by grace through faith and it's not of works or else then we could boast about it. So the grace of God is given to us as favor which we did not earn. That's hard for us really when you think about it to receive something like that, to treasure it, to walk in the grace of God because we did not earn it. Because if we earn something, then we have a status and a merit and we have an obligation to to kind of safeguard it, right? You don't have to safeguard. You don't have to uh, be in, in, in worrying about losing the grace of God. The grace of God was given to you without your earning it anyway. Thinking that you can somehow keep it safe is an inversion of the gospel. The same grace that saved you when you said yes to Jesus is the same grace that keeps you and sustains you and will see you into the life after this life. It is grace. Grace, grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound, isn't it sweet? It's a sweet sound that saved a wretch like me. We have a hard time grasping this kind of grace, freely receiving without feeling compelled to pay back. But you know, when it comes to the grace of God, we cannot pay it back. We simply receive it. And this is why in times of worship that we lift our hands. This is why that tears stream down our face because when you truly grasp the greatness of the grace of God, then you also have an understanding of the destitution of your own soul to realize I didn't earn it and I can't pay it back. Receive his grace, receive his blessing today. And then it goes on and says, lift up his face. This describes how a superior person of status shows acceptance to someone of inferior status. 
So it's, it's this concept of the Lord looks and he sees and he recognizes you personally, but he also approves of you. So not only does God's face glimmer like a grandparent looks at a grandchild, but he also takes time to consciously zero in and focus on you and approves of you. When you're walking in the ways of the Lord, when your heart is inclined unto him, then he approves of your ways. That doesn't mean you're worthy, but it does mean you have great worth. You're not worthy, but you're worth a lot to God. And this last one is to give peace. The word peace here is shalom in the Hebrew. And shalom does not telegraph the absence of trouble. Shalom does not indicate that there is no more battles and there's no war. But shalom means in the midst of whatever you're dealing with in life, I wish for you well-being, wholeness, and completeness. And peace is a byproduct, hear me, of the presence of God. Look at a person who has a resolved peace and you'll find someone who is basking in the presence of God. They have an, a keen awareness that God is present, that God is real. Peace is a delicious fruit of abiding in the place where God has set you. Hear me. Peace is a delicious fruit of abiding where God has set you. Or said another way, just grow where you're sown. We so often want to be running over here to this other field and be planted in this other soil and do this other thing. But God has sown us, God has planted us somewhere. And if we will abide in the presence of God in our season and in our circumstance and in this time, then peace is the byproduct of the presence of God, knowing that he is in control, that he is a loving father, that he is there for my good. Psalm 67 and 1 reverberates some of this blessing. It says, God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah, which means think about that. And there is a result and a consequence of living with this blessing. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close with this. There is a consequence of living under this blessing. And it's found in verse 27. After the blessing was given. Now, verse 27 comes in and says this so they may put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. <clears throat> Here's what God's saying. God's saying this. Moses, tell Aaron to gather his sons and to bless Israel this way because when they do, they will be putting my name on the children of Israel. Now go with me in mind for just a moment to your early grade school years. What is the first thing that when a paper is passed out, what is the first thing that a student is told to do on that paper? Before they answer any questions, what is the first thing they're to do to that paper? Put your name at the top. Why? Because that means the work that is about to be done underneath there belongs to the person whose name is on it. When we check into the airport and we have all these bags around us and everybody else has their bags and you look over the check-in counter, there's a sea of bags. How do they keep all those in the right order. Well, they have a scan tag there. They tell me that'll get it to the right place. Anybody ever lost your luggage? Yep. I've lost my luggage before. It's no fun. 
but I have never, ever, ever flown without making sure that I have a name tag on my bag. Yeah, I trust their technology a little bit, but I trust the writing of my name on there a whole lot more, saying that I own that bag. Here's what God told Moses to convey to Aaron and his children, that when you bless them in this way, you are putting the name of God on the people. And here's what he's saying is that when God's name gets embossed upon your life, that means ownership. And I'm owned by God. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Therefore, I don't have to worry about my meal for tomorrow. My God takes care of the weather. Therefore, I don't have to worry about whether it rains or shines. My God has mapped out my days. He has ordered my steps. Therefore, whether the floods rise or the sun comes out and the ground withers and the this fields fade, whatever happens, God owns me. God is my father. He takes care of me. I don't own myself. Now, the apostle Paul gives us a great example of this in 1 Corinthians. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, for you are not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, in the Old Testament, the priestly duties included pronouncement of blessing upon the worshipers as they entered and as they exited the place of worship. They were to declare the name of Yahweh over the people. And so I want everyone to stand. We're gonna sing this blessing over you, but I want you to reach your hands this way. As I fulfill a priestly role in the house of the Lord this morning, declaring over you and your house that you are blessed, you reach your hands this way as I reach mine that way. And let me pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the blessing of God rest upon you and may the name of Yahweh be embossed upon your life.